Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. So I'm here with Sam Gravestock of the Forest Path Program in the UK. I'm really happy to have you here. And, you know, ever since I've seen you on Instagram, I have just wanted to hear your story and hear about the work you're doing with your men's uh, retreats that are guided and therapeutic wilderness experiences. And I, I just want to say, I really appreciate you being here. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm really interested to hear how you got started and hear more about what you do, because most of the time when I hear about bushcraft programs or you know, wilderness survival or, you know, tracking and those kinds of experiences, they don't, they don't usually include like a therapeutic or, you know, retreat type of program. It's, it's usually more manly, like uh, intensive or, you know, uh, you know, 10 day survival experience or something. And I really, really find, uh, you know, when I see some of the things you post that I just feel drawn in and want to know know about it and also i'm just makes me happy to see what you're doing so tell us a little bit about what you do and how and how it kind of came about that you're uh doing this kind of work well i'm gonna go answer your second question first how it sure. came so i've always been outdoorsy i mean i'm child of the 80s and 90s so i was the last child before the internet was invented my dad was a farmer my granddad was a keen outdoorsman so i spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid i was part of the scout movement although that was more international traveling, although I did do my backwoodsman badge, which was the equivalent of the survival badge, and it gave you the opportunity to carry a belt knife with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quite a big deal. And then in my early 20s, I got a bit distracted, as one does, with drinking and drugging and chasing, chasing ladies and stuff. And then I think I was about 23, I had a massive, massive nervous breakdown six weeks in the psych hospital year mm -hmm. and a half and during that time obviously all my friends were still working so I didn't have anything to do I started going for a walk and then I was like oh well while I'm here I remember seeing Ray Mears on telly and doing little bits and bobs with the scouts and it progressed from there and I also came across Tom Brown Jr.'s book I think the first one I came across was The Way of the Scout and the then I basically, scout, yes. basically devoured all of them including getting copies of books that weren't available in the UK, bought by friends in America and sent over and everything and consumed them like a hungry man with a bag of chips. And just <laughs> got them down. So that's where my passion for being outdoors and my own well-being and mental health comes from. Um, professionally, I work with adults with learning disabilities in my day job, as you will. And during COVID, I burnt out. As you can imagine, it was quite daunting. Um, so I left management and worked as an agency worker. So went and just did wherever people sent me. But I also started working with a friend, Mance Ahmed, who runs Wilderness Pioneers in Oxfordshire. We do a uh, young people's provision for slightly troubled youths. They're not necessarily terrible. And I don't mean that nastily. They're not at the sort of fine edge of problematic, but with some solid guidance, they can turn stuff around. And we've seen really positive effects with that. Right. Use outdoor skills to promote resilience and self, uh, self confidence and maybe thinking a little bit more for themselves rather than floating with the herd and, you know, accountability and everything like that. And at the same time, as well as studying various schools, I'm a bit of a, a course junkie. I also picked up, started doing a qualification with EQE, which is a company in the UK, doing advanced wilderness therapeutic interventions. And it's all kind of an amalgamation of all of that and my bushcraft studies and dirt time and going outdoors in all sorts of weather and getting rained on and still having a good time, really. Yeah. And what I've, what I've noticed is that Whilst there's plenty of therapeutic options and availability for ladies, for blokes, there's still very much a kind of man up cupcake, suck it up, it's on you, 
you deal with it. Um, especially, I mean, I'm 41, 42 in December, and we're all meant to have it all worked out and figured out. And sometimes we've not even been taught how to ask the questions. Right. You know, the youth, younger people now are definitely a lot more aware of like emotional intelligence and stress management and all of that sort of stuff. And in our 40s, we're expected to know how to deal with all of that. And actually, we probably haven't been told how right. to or supported to work out healthy ways. You know, I can think of quite a few friends whose main stress coping techniques are the classic go to the pub or a bar in America, go to the pub, sink two or three pints every night, self-medicate, come home, repeat. And it's not really the most beneficial coping strategy. There are ones that don't damage your liver so much out there. And that's kind of where I'm hoping to guide people to. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting what you're saying. And I, I have thought about because a lot, it does always seem like the pub is like a central part of, uh, you know, the, the UK culture and, mm. and, you know, it's kind of a mixture of like a meeting place and, uh, you know, social club and, and then at the same time, there's also, uh, like you said, ways to self-medicate. And yeah, I'm, uh, I really, I, f I find it fascinating. I don't, I'm, I don't drink. So uh, I kind of missed some of the, the rowdy twenties that you were talking about, because I think I, I think I kind of intuitively knew that that would probably be a problem for me. So I, but I really relate to what you're saying. And I'd love to hear a little bit about the EQE, like what, what was that training like for you? Or what, you know, I know you were out doing some bushcraft things, but was yeah. there anything that kind of struck you that was interesting that diverged from that, uh, from the typical bushcraft type uh, experience? Yeah, so it's not, so they, um, they make use of the four shield system, which I'm sure you've, so it's very much like, obviously, so you'd use the East for the physical activity. Yeah. Uh, West for where you've got to think a bit more about something. You'd use north for uh, getting stuff done. You know, sometimes you just got to bulldoze through and get the fire lit, even though it's miserable weather. Uh, and sometimes you can still just have a bit of a laugh and a bit of mischief with the East still. So they use that. They also use um, Jungian archetypes and breath work exercises to um, sort of move towards a little bit further insight into what's going on. Right. So you might, they use the wilderness mirror a lot, which is a reflection of your inner state based on what you observe and see from the outer wilderness. One sort of thing I probably need to explain is it's more like Tom Brown's forgotten wilderness in the UK. It, it's hard to find what some might consider genuine wilderness in the UK, but I think really you need to open your eyes to a bigger interpretation rather than it being miles and miles, acres right. and acres, hectares and hectares. It's more sort of like, so my woodland that I use for my personal activities is about a third of an, two thirds of an acre. So it's not very big, right. but that's enough to still get the benefits. You know, yes. but you say wilderness and people automatically start thinking of, you know, the pine barrens, to use Tom as an example, or, you know, parts of Wyoming or, or Alaska or... Yes. The, <laughs> or scotland and actually you know, scotland yeah there's enough wilderness you can discover wilderness in your back garden if you have the mindset and the approach so yeah a, I, yeah i agree 100 percent. my one of my favorite things when i was first uh learning a lot of my wilderness skills was to uh find areas along a a busy highway where there's a lot of trees there's a lot of cars going by real fast and then like just kind of sometimes there's these little areas that are big enough to explore where sometimes you'll find like the you know skull of an animal that got hit by a car or you'll find um little spots where there's just a tremendous number of animals living there because nobody ever goes there and i always found those to be really fun to explore uh as long as i stayed away from the road that that is but, a lot of um motorways and stuff would be what i'd call forgotten wilderness you've got a lot of plant life that's growing there because they're just untended yes other than occasionally council mower coming across and there's where you'll see like yarrow plantain dandelion mallow all sorts of things just merrily doing their thing 
Yeah. Because they're just kind of overlooked. Right, right. I know. I love I love going underneath a bridge too, like when there's a highway overpass, and then oftentimes yeah. there's a little creek underneath it. And there's yeah. usually a a, pair, a pit place where there's just hundreds and hundreds of animal tracks and just really fun. I mean, sometimes, you know, in America, we have people that are living under the bridge. So you have that kind of wildness too. But yeah, no, that sounds really great. I, and I think you bring up a really good point about that idea of the forgotten wilderness or the, or that 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 small area being really uh incredibly rich and valuable and i know that's what probably they use a lot for uh forest schools for the early ch childhood uh education you know they're not taking them into the deep wilderness they're just just getting them used to nature right yeah, getting them used to being outside um, being part of nature rather than apart from it yeah uh, yeah one of my friends she's a forest school teacher leader whatever the term is, and uh, she's doing good work. But again, in very small areas in comparison to what some might think. Right, right. Yeah, you don't need that. That is that is a misconception that I think a lot of nature, nat people, when people think of a nature educator yeah. or you know doing something like this, they oftentimes think, well, I don't know if I could do that because I don't know, I don't have all the training and I don't have the ability to go all the way out there and all that. And I, I think oftentimes they're really surprised how much you can do around a little tight, a little campfire and having a nice comfortable spot and a little stream. And yeah, it's, you know, it, it's really profound for a lot of them when they find that out. Yeah, and as well for a lot of folk, even just coming out of their domesticated garden into a small space is still quite wild in comparison to comparison, comparison. Mm -hmm. what they are used to you know if you can take someone adult child and be like right this is a stinging nettle you have stinging nettles over there mm -hmm. and this is what you can do with it and then they sting themselves oh yeah by the way it'll sting you <laughs> yeah that's right but to some they're not used to that anymore sadly i mean i was fortunate i soon learned when i was young this is a stinging nettle it hurts and this is what you can put on it to fix it yeah um, my son learned at a young age as well but a lot of people I'll come away from that plant, you'll get hurt, but they don't tell you everything else that it's got. Right. No, that's very, very true. And it, it's easy to get these uh, labels in our culture of, you know, watch out for this. It's bad. And there's no real nuance or depth or anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I think people can relate to that too, because sometimes, you know, we all have uh, things that we have either done or said where we kind of go, Oh, I, I regret that. And, you know, you could get that label. I mean, I, I can, I can point to a number of times where somebody could go, Oh, Rick did this, or, you know, I didn't like that. And then you're the bad guy, but then uh, ideally you're, there's a, there has to be a way to redeem yourself on the other side and to say, you know, stinging nettle or, whatever the plant is or whatever the person is that there's somebody that you go, yeah, this is stinging. That was one of my favorite plants. And yeah, one time, one time it didn't work out too well for me, but it doesn't matter because you get past that if you can. And, and that, that's, that's just a perfect example of that inner outer mirror probably uh, that you guys might use. So. Yeah. Um, what else do we use? We use, um, we use the fabulous sit spot. I think yep. everyone, everyone's familiar with the sit spot. I would hope. Most people are familiar with it. Um, but the sit spot is as much for inner reflection as outer observation in these scenarios. So obviously you're still going to find somewhere nice and inviting and be mindful of it. Mm -hmm. But it should be somewhere that you can utilize for your own inner work and inner reflection and contemplation and stuff. And also it's somewhere that, you know, whilst we'd all love to live wild 24 7 we can't um bills have got to be paid etc so it hopefully gives someone something to sort of reflect on and have that sanctum of peace to either remember or revisit and uh, use as a moment of calm in the storm that is the 21st century of overstimulus yes yeah yeah, I can imagine that. That I've, I've seen that in our programs as well, and and we have two hundred acres of land at our at, at our place. But you know, I always tell people we only really use a very small area, really actively. I, maybe once during the program, we'll hike up to the 
you know, away to the far corner, but many, many times we don't even do that. And so, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because people are getting that retreat away still. So yeah, hundred percent. So tell me a little bit about Tom Brown. Like what, when you went there, how did that seem to you after reading all his books? Did it, did it kind of match what you thought it was going to be or? I've, I've never been to the Pine Barrens. Um, I'd love to, but uh-huh. it's not happening at the moment. Right, Maybe. right. Um, but I've read all of his personal story books, and I've read several of his survival field guides. Um, my personal favorite is probably Living with the Earth of his field guides because it goes a bit deeper. You know, everyone everyone seems to lean on the sort of up to 72-hour scenario. Um, but after 72 hours, that's where the living kicks in. Yeah. Know? So the hide tanning, the container making, the longer term shelter structure, yes. um, cordage and so on. And that's the sort of stuff that interests me more. And don't get me wrong, the, the, the classic debris hut and bow drills and, and all that jazz is very good. But for me, it's more interesting you know, going in and living a bit longer spending a bit more time because I don't think for the first few days you really get into sync with your environment that you're visiting. You know, you need, you know, you've got to hit your, find shelter, find water, find firewood, find food, although yeah. food's not important, people think. And, you know, the first two or three days, the, the animal life is still getting used to this odd biped wandering around, <laughs> crashing, where once there was a, a path in a clear area, now there's this strange hump that smells of fire. So, they tend to avoid you a bit more. But after the first few days, that's when they kind of go, oh, all right, then they accept you. You ease into the environment yourself. You know, you've been sleeping out there for a couple of nights. So you're right. not you're used to what is going on around you noise-wise in the evenings and nights. And probably back your, your sleep pattern has maybe re-established itself. You've re-established that actually, you know, I'll wake up reasonably early or potter about, might have a nap. You know, you've got back into the rhythm of being a human being in nature rather than a visitor. And that's yeah. why I like his, his more longer-term stuff. I prefer that. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I, I really found that I enjoyed... I just enjoyed being out there and making things. And, you know, I, I mean, all the others... Tom teaches a lot of different things, like the scout stuff where you're sneaking around in the woods, camouflaged, and... And then yeah. he's got a lot of the philosophy classes that are very, you know, meditation heavy and, yeah. uh, you know, entering into those other worlds. And, uh, and I always just like being in the camp and, you know, finding some clay or, or finding some bark and weaving or carving, carving things and just being with everybody it, that to me always felt really like, uh, that was my sweet spot anyway. Putting up a bit of cordage while you're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of just being present in the environment and being comfortable in the environment. And I think yes. once someone gets comfortable living wild, and I hope you could hear the inverted commas there, I find that when they come back into, and again, another inverted commas, the normal work, civilization, people feel more confident in general anyway. Mm-hmm. They're tapped into something a bit more really real rather than what the real world tells them they need to dash about doing. Right. Right. And sometimes people, it seems like sometimes people will show up at a program and they're, they're there to learn about survival because they're afraid. So they're yeah. like, I need to know what to do because I don't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do I do first and how do I get this? And, and they're kind of like close, not, they're not close to panic, but there is that edge of it's overwhelming. And yeah. how do I make sense of this? And what's so beautiful about the, like you said, the living with the earth's idea of extended stay mm-hmm. is that at that point, the you don't have the, you know, intense fear, you know, of, am I going to make it? Is this going to work? You know, am I, am I, am I imminently close to death or anything? You know, you're kind of moving into that other rhythm of like, okay, I'm getting into my routine and I know a little bit about how to be comfortable and to get my needs met and all yeah. that. So realize what's nice to have and what's essential. Yes. Yeah. That's, so that's fear. That's true. Yeah. That works quite nicely. Something I've seen when I was working with other companies, you know, that would do a week long 
course, and I'd be a background assistant, a camp assistant, kettles hot, firewood going, meals cooked sort of thing. And you'd see the first couple of days, everyone was very sort of still very neat and very uncomfortable, not uncomfortable per se, but not in the, in the time. And by day three or four, you know, they've started, they've got a pocket full of Tinder bundle. They've got strange additions floating in their mug because they've started making cordage and they needed to soak it overnight. And they're more present. They're more in the moment, in the situation, rather than, you know, trying to find signal to send a text message or. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't know how it is in the UK, but when people do arrive here from the, a city or a suburb, they're oftentimes moving or talking at a very high rate of speed. And it can take like about two, like you said, two or three days before they they start to slow down a little bit, you know, just because they're they're at that pace uh, that their culture is at. Yeah, very much so. It gives them that, that first couple of days, just enough to kind of slow them down. You know, nature has its own pace. Everything gets done. You can't fight against that pace. So if you don't, fight against it you'll have a much smoother ride you'll yeah. a much pleasant experience rather you know it's a bit like when it rains you've got two choices you can either curse that it's raining or you can just crack on because it's still going to rain either way yeah that's true so, you know you can either raise your blood pressure and your emotional state by getting angry that it's raining or you go hmm you're gonna get well it's still gonna rain so why get irate about something yeah Right. We, we saw a classic example of this yesterday flying back from our holiday and um, there was an accident and the shuttle from the hotel to the airport was late and one chap was very angry about it, but he didn't make it go any faster. And then yeah. there were two issues with something technical. And again, he this bloke was getting very annoyed, but he didn't get there any sooner. All he did was have a stressful journey, you know, and yeah. I guess if he'd been on a, a course or something like that, he would have been the one that had had uh, some sort of meltdown or flare up and feel rather silly at the end of it because he's still got to make the fire. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. It, nature, you can't argue with the thunderstorm, right? So that's like just how it is. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. What 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 are the what are the experiences like? Yeah, you know, obviously without sharing any uh personal information about anyone but what what are some of the things that you know people go through in a therapeutic retreat because in my mind you know i've always thought of therapy when i you know prior to having done some i always just thought okay if i'm going to go to a therapist i'm going to go there and then they're going to just try to get me to cry and have a breakdown and it's just you know so and i don't know if i can handle that and i don't know if i want to do that with somebody i don't know and all that so when, when I think of, uh, you know, I'm wonder, I'm sure there's a lot of men that think, oh, why would I take that class? Um, but at the same time, we also know we get lonely or we get, we have things that we don't know who to talk to or where we can just open up a little bit. And uh, yeah, so yeah. what I'm finding mainly is that as a rule, men don't do therapy unless right. that either in the UK, we have the NHS and they might go to the doctor and say, look, I'm feeling depressed and go, right. But actually, it's, it's a known thing that a male doctor, if you say you're feeling depressed, they'll go, here's some pills. You go to a female doctor, statistically, they're more likely to send you for counseling, which is curious. But I think that's a, a big indicator of the difference between male and female approaches to this sort of thing. Men will just want to fix, which harkens back to the self-medicating. And ladies will encourage talking and communication. Um so in a lot of our our processes, we're slightly different. So as much for the men's retreats in theory, uh, my first one officially runs in a few in a couple of weeks. But we're offering that opportunity to have somewhere. I don't want to use the term safe space because I think that's one that is used a lot. This is a safe space. I can't guarantee anywhere safe, you know. But this is a space you can be brave in and express what's going on. And you'll be given that space to say that without fear of being mocked or goaded or judged as less for it all. So that's my intention is to offer a braver space where you can have that moment. I mean, I personally, I question sometimes the folk who 
come out and they're looking to get people to burst into tears and have an emotional reaction because then i wonder is that feeding your your internal story of oh i can i can break down any man or any person and reduce them to a crumbling wreck you know i'd rather recognize that actually this individual's feeling sensitive delicate unsure and bolster them up so that they don't burst into tears you know i think there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with having a good cry you know i think if people did cry more they wouldn't cry over strange things (laughs) if they're a bit more open with themselves about stuff but you know reducing someone's tears especially in a group that's not necessarily what you want i mean if it happens it happens and you support people through that situation but i'm not i don't particularly want people to cry if they want to that's fine rock out but i'm not someone who enjoys seeing like you said the therapist who gets everyone to burst into tears i'd rather give you guide you through the exercises that we use so that you can face what's bothering you face what might cause tears in a way that you don't have to break down completely it might my breakdown was quite an immense one. You know, I went absolutely do lally. I spent six weeks in psychiatric support and a year and a half off. I'm the extreme side of that tale. Yeah. If I'd been caught sooner, I wouldn't have gone that far off piste, but I did, and I bounced back from it. So I'd rather get the sort of walking worried, the ones who are like they're not quite sure what's wrong, but they know something's wrong. I'd like to give them the opportunity to kind of find some moments to reflect, be that around the campfire, be that during one of the activities that we run. So we run a timeline. You kind of start off at birth and then you run all the way to where you are. And that might help you identify some of the points in life where, oh, that's what happened. Or that was actually quite a significant part of my life that in before this, I never realized was quite significant. Yeah. And that might- an area to think oh that's why i do this or that's why i always struggle about this area of stuff i mean it's very important that i also state i'm not a, a trained therapist i'm a therapeutic interventions individual so i've not mm-hmm. got a degree in therapy i have training in offering therapeutic prompts therapeutic activities to insight oneself right. you know rather than it being i am a genuine CBT, uh, cognitive behavior therapist, psychotherapist, art therapist, anything like that. I'm not. I'm just putting that there because no one wants an assumed mantle of, of information or, or entitlement that I don't actually have. Um, sure. And that's another thing. When you start putting labels on yourself or on others, that's when it can get a bit, a bit, oh, well, my therapist, I'm not a therapist. So don't, don't interpret it in that way. You know, right. I'm giving you perspectives. And if anything does come up, then I'm going to signpost you to where you can get the proper support. Mm-hmm. So if you realize that you're starting to get a problem with grief, I would recommend you go to this area who can support you with that specific. If you find that you've started having a drink, not because you want to have a drink, but because you find that's helping you cope, I would suggest you go and see this substance misuse individual. If you find, do you know where I'm coming from? So I'm more yes. of a, yeah. an overarching support system that I can then gently prompt you to go and see the specialists, as it were. Um, but I mean, I've seen people, I work with an individual with ADHD and autism. And I've noticed a general karma feeling from him when he's out in the woods with me. Uh, we do a lot of tracking, although I'm not great at tracking. Uh, we do a lot of mushroom spotting and plant ID. And I think the, the soft focus for his attention that is available outside is very beneficial rather than like being inside overstimulated, but overstimulated in a control, not a controlled manner, but in a very structured manner. Yeah. Um, with Wilderness Pioneers, we have a lot of individuals who are coming with ADHD. Whether or not it is ADHD or whether or not it's just that they are not designed to sit in this classroom, that's not for me to say. But yeah, everyone's got is capable and able, but if you judge their abilities to climb a tree and they're a fish, you've got, you know, you're already setting them up for failure. Um, but I've noticed a, an overall kind of there's more of a curiosity to the ADHD. Oh, what's that? That's a mushroom. Which one? Not sure. 
Should we look in this field, guy? So your their their compulsion for stimulus and stuff is met in a very different way because they're they're getting that curiosity fed into and, and kind of not diverged but guided in a way where they will benefit from it. Yes. Rather than it being like, well, yes, it's very interesting that that's mushroom, but actually, right now we're meant to be picking blackberries. Yeah, okay. right. <laughs> You've got to flow with it. You've got to flow with what they want to find interesting and see if there's anything you can work around with that. Another one that someone I've worked with, they really like sorting firewood. Yeah. Just sorting firewood. And for them, that's an empowering thing because potentially they're not given the opportunity to do anything practical per se. So just letting them rock out and, you know, split it down into the ones, twos, threes and fours sizes you know, the matchstick through to wrist thing. That's brilliant. Yeah. There's also the benefits of making use of hand tools so they improve their coordination, their self-confidence. I mean, I always give them tools that are suitable for their level of capability. I don't just give them a large axe and go, right, rock on. It's always like, here's a bow saw. This is how you use the bow saw. This is how you use the bow saw safely. Yeah. Or I've, I've given them like hedge loppers. Mm-hmm which is an easier version of it, but it's something that could be utilized. So you're, you're meeting their desire to do things with an appropriate level of equipment rather than like, ah, they're all right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Blood everywhere. That's a lot of paperwork coming my way. <laughs> exactly. No, that's true. That's really true. Yeah, there's something really soothing about doing a task that doesn't take a lot of mental energy but is engaging our our hands and our awareness, but is is also very satisfying. At the end of it, you see this big pile of something you did. And yeah. there's so many times in our lives where we we just, you know, live a lot of hours at the end of it. You don't have anything to show for it. You don't necessarily can you can't see what you did easily. And it's really, um, yeah, there's just something really powerful about working with your hands that way and and doing that. I, I, I 100% agree. I've seen that so many times too. So, thing one for me when I was working in management and with management, you could turn off your laptop having cleared every single email. And then within 20 minutes of turning your laptop, of coming back and turning it back on, you've got two dozen, three dozen, hundreds of these things. Yeah. I need to wash up, I need to do the dishes by hand. Because I've got a start, a fit, a middle, and an end. Right. I've got tasks that I've completed. And a lot of the outdoors stuff, you know, oh, this is the task. I've got to get the fire lit. So I start with nothing. I collect all the firewood. I build up the TP fire. I light the tinder bundle. I put the tinder bundle in it. I've made a fire. Start, middle, end. And that yep. gives a lot of especially a lot of men around my age who seem to have fallen into varying levels of office work. You know, it, it's more likely that people work in an office than they do with their hands nowadays, it seems. Mm -hmm. Giving them that in itself can be quite therapeutic. They've actually seen something that this is the end result. This is yep. what I have. It's the first time I've got a tangible result all week. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that's true. That's so true. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun thing to see people really self-soothe and relax and we do a lot of uh, carving and wood carving, and we do a lot of uh, coal burning using a coal from the fire to make a little bowl or a spoon or a cup. And it's so interesting to watch people uh, really sink into it and kind of be surprised at how how motivated they are, how interested they are in car completing that task and sanding it. They've got like black dust all over their hands and usually on their face because they touch their face. And, and yet they're so proud of this little spoon they made and it looks so beautiful when it's all sanded and oiled and everything. It's just so nice to see. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think nowadays, because it's so easy to go out and buy these things, that people, when they do actually do a task and complete it, there's a certain level of satisfaction, you know, I didn't think I could do this. Well, you have, and you made it, and it's awesome. Um, classic one, hide tanning. You know, you start off with this big heap of manky, funny smelling, although it's not an unpleasant smell, but it's not a smell most people are familiar with. Yeah. Bits of, bits of flesh on it, and then by the end, you've got this beautiful tactile material that you can then go on to craft with. You know, it, it's a big thing. 
Yeah. And that's a visible return of their efforts and energy. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, there's, it's a transformation, right? There's a, there's that feeling of uh, like, there's a, there's an yeah. alchemy, a magical to it where you just take a, a chunk of wood that's in the firewood in the firewood pile. And then suddenly you start carving a little, this take the bark off. All of a sudden it's this beautiful object that you found in the rough. Right. Or there's this, you know, like you said, a hide that, you know, you take it into something that's beautiful that you could make a shirt or a pouch or something really wonderful. And, and that's just, it's a magical experience. And then, and then you get hooked on it, right. You get addicted to it. And next thing you know, you've got like 14 dead animals in your freezer that everyone's complaining about. So you yeah. get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, I, know that one. I know that one all too well. You find yourself out in the garden, quite tanning in the garden, getting funny looks from the neighbors over the fence. Yeah, done that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you have, you in the UK, you have uh, badgers over there and foxes and, um things like that is are those things that you you would tan with the fur on or do you or do you do you have deer hides that you can get to do tanning or are they hard yeah. to come by so, um if you know how to locate and you can get deer hide um it's usually finding deer colors because obviously in the uk we have no we are the primary predator the deer are managed and quite often other than potentially having some knife marks where they skinned them out for the meat you can get the hide from people because they're just going to chuck it they're going to dig a hole and just dump it so if you know the deer colors you can usually convince them to just give you the skins yeah i have a friend Teresa camper she teaches professionally and i'm not quite sure where she gets hers from for that a lot of roadkill not necessarily deer for roadkill i've got a lovely fur on bark tanned fox that was a roadkill originally got a few squirrel again that were roadkilled haven't done a badger. Badger's a bit of a, a grey area in the UK because it's a protected species. Right. Unless you're a, unless you think it's got TB. Oh. And then and then you can blast it, poison it. But because of the legality aspect of it, it's not something I've I've done. Uh just you know, rules are there and got to abide by them. I'm just about to start doing a little bit of fish leather that um I caught the fish the other week, skinned it put it in the freezer until I've got time. Hopefully I'll catch some more and I can get a decent amount of material to work with. Yeah, I've never done anything with fish fish leather or anything like that. That's a that's something that I I'm really fascinated a little bit by because that's something that feels very unusual to even think that you could make something with that. And that and yet I see some incredibly beautiful things that people are making online, especially in areas there where you have especially big large fish and things like that. That'll be cool. It's quite a robust leather. You know, yeah. you think fish, you kind of think, oh, they're going to be thin. And, but they seem quite robust from the examples I've seen. So I have high hopes for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine in my mind, again, like it's so funny how our imaginations play into all of these these skills and the concepts of wilderness and everything. I remember uh, catching a lot of fish and thinking, okay, what do I do? I'm in the woods. And so I made a smoker. I kind of took clay and mud and logs and I built this beautiful smoker and I put all the fish in there and I made a fire and I was, you know, smoking it and getting the meat so it would be preserved. And I didn't realize as it was doing that, that the, the smoke was going up through the woods and it drifted, all that smoke drifted down this uh, little gully the stream and I left it I left all the fish in the smoker and I went to sleep thinking that's the best place to keep it and I think I think it must have been a smell that alerted like 10 raccoons <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night and they were just screaming and fighting and yelling and and you know just scratching each other and trying to get into the smoker I had put big rocks over it and uh, they ate every single fish I had, had caught, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get better <laughs> at figuring out how to how to do this, and and maybe not alert all of these animals that I'm, you know, dinner is served or something. But that's a lesson learned in itself, and that yes, on what went wrong, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. self reflection is something that some people do, some people don't. I think it'd be better if more people did. And again, that's something that we offer in the retreats that the Forest Path 
is putting on is that moment, that opportunity to reflect. And sometimes it's something that on the outside you're reflecting on, well, why didn't this, why couldn't I light this fire? Because I actually had to try to light a thumbstick, thumb-sized stick with a match. And then from that you start, you know, you can twist it and be like, well, you know, is there anything that you need to break down into manageable sizes to deal with rather than going straight in at this this is a huge, huge thing that I'm trying to tackle. And actually, the way I'm trying to tackle it, I need to break it into smaller parts. So rather than it being, you know, I need to I need to stop drinking, might be something that people are identifying. So you can either just go stop, or you can say, actually, you know what? I'm not going to have a drink two nights a week. To, to slowly break yourself out of that habit. And as well, that's a, a gentler way of approaching it. Right. Some, you know, some people, if they just stop cold turkey, it's detrimental to their health anyway. Some people, they still need a certain amount of interaction. You know, I'm I'm not going to judge anyone for how they cope with what they've found themselves in or what they've been through. But maybe just breaking it down and going, right, today I'm not going to, today I'm going to cook a meal, not order a takeaway. Today I'm going to not pick up my phone for the first hour that I wake up. I'm going to make myself a nice cup of coffee before I go help a leather into my emails. Just little things to break stuff down to make it softer for themselves. Yes. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense too, because especially if you're, if you're used to going to a pub and seeing all your friends and having those conversations and then you just stop, um, that's a bad recipe because now you're going to be, you're going to be sober and lonely. Right. So it's nice to find other activities and places where yeah. uh, people can go and vet, gather and not do that. Or, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, you're you're. I think it's a really good strategy, and I think a lot of the wilderness um, activities are very. Um, what do they call that? Like a, it's a, they're really good metaphors for you know comparisons about our modern life and and how to approach problems and things like that too. So yeah, and as well. With, with some of the wilderness things you know you don't you don't need to know how to do a bow drill you don't need to be able to carve a spoon but knowing that you can gives you that extra i mean i remember the first time i got an ember with a bow drill that was it i was i was elated for days yeah and just that put me in a, a positive trajectory in general and then when i was hitting hitting turbulence i was yeah but come on if you can rub two sticks together and get a fire you got this. This is a yeah. genuine achievement, a real achievement, not just my boss who in 20 minutes is probably going to give me a shout because I haven't done a manage, uh, care plan or something saying, well done. This is a genuine, I have done this. And it gives you that, that resilience. Well, if I can yes. do that, then I can do that. And you can build each bit like a, like with your place smoker, start at the bottom and build your way up Yes, rather, rather than, you know, oh, I can't do anything right. Well, you clearly can because you've managed this. You know, you've took a, a practical skill and you've worked it all the way through. Even, yeah. even using a ferro rod or a flint and steel, that's an achievement. Some people haven't even lit a fire, which confuses the hell out of me. But some people have never even lit a fire. So just lighting a fire and getting it going and making a boiling a kettle and making a cuppa is a, a huge tangible result for them. Yes, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of problem solving that goes into these things, and a lot of uh, a lot of confidence building when you when you are successful, and and like you said, it's it's something that you know inside of yourself. It's not even that you get a that someone else is going to tell you, oh, you did a good job. You know, you did it, and that mm -hmm. you accomplished something. And I I think when when we don't get that when we don't have these experiences, you know, day in day out as children then you become an adult and you suddenly go, wait a minute, I, I don't feel like I'm really belong here. I don't feel like I'm ready for this. I have a lot of friends that will say online, they'll say things like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like adulting today. <laughs> Those things like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm still don't know what I'm doing. And, and they're, and they're, and sometimes they're struggling and it's sometimes it's just a joke, but but yeah, it's it can be really over life can be really overwhelming, and it's nice to kind of start from that simpler place. And I think that's probably one of the big power power uh, places for your work, where 
you get yeah. everybody on the same ground and yeah. you're all there and enjoying and each other. Usually, you know, as well, men have that, oh, I'm interested in the outdoors, but potentially other than scouts, they've never done anything. A lot of people, I mean, I can remember when I was in scouts, towards the end, it was leaning more towards tech and computer game nights and stuff like that. I think from my understanding from when my son was in it, it's kind of moving back towards traditional scouts stuff. Um, but a lot of people, they haven't had these opportunities in general. You know, they haven't camped. They haven't, or if they have camped, then they've camped because they've gone out to a, a festival and that's not really camping. That's just finding somewhere to sleep in between yes. things. Um, so they've never really had a sense of belonging outdoors. So, they come in on edge and you can tell that they're on edge and you can build them up from that. And because they've been built up to be comfortable in a stranger environment than they're used to, that has a progressive benefit to them in general. You know, you see people at the start of the week, the minute the clouds come over, they're suddenly running for their rainproofs. And by the end of the week, they're like, eh, that'd be all right. I'll just get wet, you know, or yeah, yeah. Eh, it's all right. I'll dry out in an hour by the fire. So they've, they've started to face what at the start of the time was quite horrific to them. And by the end of it, they've kind of accepted, that's oh, not that bad. I can be better. I can yeah. move, move on from this. And <laughs> yeah. those, those little steps, although, you know, I could, you know, in a survival course, bushcraft course is just part of the course. Actually, looking a bit deeper, there's a lot of, extra stuff going on but we tend to glaze over the stuff that's happening inside the person for the outside tangible skills and actually the skills to an extent I mean don't get me wrong I want people to come come away knowing that they can light a fire or cook on a fire or whatever but the skills themselves are just the vehicle to getting that deeper understanding of self that understanding of where they are and why they are and yeah. what what they could do to tweak it to move a away from that um and also having self-management tools so like we use the force shields a lot of blokes haven't necessarily more so nowadays they have but haven't necessarily been taught anything other than I'm angry i'm not angry or <laughs> i want female company i don't want female company they haven't got that emotional intelligence we're, we're better now but you know when i went and had my funny turn that was early 2000s and people were still saying i was mental you know there wasn't that understanding there wasn't that compassion to an extent you know if i'd broken my leg or broken my back and been in a wheelchair for two years everyone would be like oh you poor thing because my head wasn't in a bandage no one really understood or knew what to what to do how to deal with me how to understand that yeah he's a bit weird but there's reason because his brain's completely fried and it's rearranging itself yeah, yeah. and that was again an extreme one but when you've got people who are feeling a bit down, they're feeling blah, because I can't pronounce the proper word. I think it's endophilia. Anyway, it's a, a general feeling of meh is the best way of describing it. So, you know, things that once brought you joy don't really fuss you. Things, you know, meals that were your favourite, you just like, yeah, whatever. Activities, hobbies, anything like that. You're just a bit beige. Yeah. You know, don't know how to handle that don't know how to relate to it but people are getting better at it and having check-ins and there's various charities and men's mental health encouragement over here in the uk and i know there's a lot over in america starting up as well um and i don't think it's necessarily enough but it's a start it's a foot on the path rather than the destination shall we say sure sure yeah that's true some of that is because they've not had it role modeled either by peers or by those older than them. You know, I'm I'm 40, my old man's 70. So, yeah, so he was born, like, straight after World War II, which makes me feel incredibly old saying that because, you know, nowadays that's taught in history class. <laughs> <laughs> but they were a very different generation. It's very much like, stiff up a lip, take it on the chin, you're a man, carry on. And we were taught this, and we're actually like, actually, this is really not doing me much good. This is not helping me. And because it's not helping me, it's not helping the next generation either. Right. So, you know, I've got uh, my son's 12. The fact that he's the same height as me is beside the point. Um, but <laughs> yeah. He's 12. And I'm doing my 
part to role model how to healthily have emotions and recognize that I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Not necessarily you that's making me feel this. And I'm trying my hardest not to let you be the cause of me outletting stuff so that he can carry on that, so that he can pass that on to his nieces, nephews, cousins, children, whomever. Yeah. So that we can maybe tip the balance into, you know, healthy uh, ways to do that, to express yourself, to recognize that things aren't quite how they should be. I mean, when I burnt out, I was fortunate that my wife worked with me and I had a few friends who were like, mate, you're not yourself. I was very lucky to have that peer support, that part, that white support. A lot of people don't have that and they just burn out, spiral downwards. So it's all about trying to get a positive spiral back up to support people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. If It feels like today, at least in America here, in the U.S., the there's a real uh, the younger generation is very uh, compassionate. They're very they're very uh, always going to try to choose kindness and to give people the benefit of the doubt and to also recognize that you know just because you know we we think someone might be is okay, we don't know what's going on with someone, yeah. what they're going through, and so there's just a lot more awareness of that. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's everywhere. I'm sure there's lots of places where it's not acceptable, but but there is a growing movement to allow for more expression and to just to just to feel healthier and and uh, and it. I'm really it makes me really hopeful. So uh, I'm excited about the future, but I also know that working with people who are in their 30s or 40s or 50s who don't have that uh, access to that maybe in their lives. It feels like it's a really important thing for them to have an experience like you're talking about. So yeah, it's, it's something that if you haven't had that, then you can't support it. I mean, you know, in comparison to a lot of civilizations in the past, we've got generations of men child, man child, yeah. who yeah. haven't moved past. They haven't had a, a clear defining moment of. You know, like you said, I don't feel like adults. I don't think we had that in the past so much because people had a bit more support to move into each thing. I mean, I jokingly say that the forest path of my midlife crisis because I've I've left a career, I've I've walked away from the career ladder that should be expected for me, and I've decided. Luckily, my wife is supportive to completely go off on a different tangent. Um, but a lot of people they just slog through you know they they're born they hit 18 they die inside and they're buried at 17 and they they never really get to fully amalgamate everything they don't get to live how they'd really like to live or they don't get to live in a way that speaks to them and when you're living in a way that speaks to you and you're more balanced and you've had some mentoring and some guidance and a bit of self-work as well you can do much more service to everyone and much more value to your community the world in general if you've done that whereas a lot of people nowadays they're still very much in a me i want this i want that it's shiny me 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 rather than moving past that little first circle of self into the the wider circle of the community yeah or yes. to the humanity as a whole be mm -hmm. more useful. yeah that's true and, and it seems like i i mean for me, when I growing up, it always felt like a lot of the older men in my life always seemed to have a lot of like simmering anger and resentment in the back in the background, like not in when they were talking to me, but if you could feel that they had a lot of things that were going on that never got a chance to come out, but it could come out at yeah. some point. And so there was a danger there. And also a sadness there and also a regret and th things like that. And I know that that seems like today, sometimes I think like the people who are older right now and they look at the younger generation, they're kind of angry because they're like, I never got to do that. I never got to be that way. And I'm now I'm kind of mad. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm just, I'm just angry that I didn't even get that chance either. And I'm older now or whatever. So I think as well, that anger that you're talking about, I don't think it's necessarily anger. I right. just don't 
how to express yes sadness the disappointment the envy the admiration you know mm. i can think of people who would have really would have in their youth wanted to do something and then couldn't because of finance or expectation or societal constrictions or anything like that and actually that anger is more ill-formed admiration being expressed well youth of today and actually the youth of today are just living your dream and you're bitter upset resentful but instead of being able to recognize that i'm bitter because i can't follow my my inner journey that i wanted my vision my desire my life purpose whatever term someone might use so instead of being able to say you know what this is great that this young man can now say no i want to go and travel the world or I want to go and live in a debris hut in the woods or whatever that might be. So instead of being able to say, I'm really glad that he can do that, again, it hits that me. I couldn't do it. I had to get a job. I had to be responsible. And it, you know, with a bit of understanding, that anger will probably turn out into being reflection of upset or yeah. remorse or envy. But again, because they haven't had that work done themselves or they haven't had that insight into self, it comes out in an unhealthy expression. And that's why people rail against the generation against them, I think, because they're like, but I'm just doing what you told me I should do, follow my dream. And now you're telling me I shouldn't follow my dream. Right, right. Follow yours. Yeah, people are complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not easier in the woods. Here's a tree, excellent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, I love what you're doing. Um, I hope that you're getting the word out to a lot of people. I hope your programs are filling uh, because... Uh, I really, I think it's a wonderful opportunity and I, I'm sure you, I'm sure just being out there and, and uh, hanging out with everybody would be really fun just to meet a lot of really interesting people who would show up to one of these. Yeah. I, I imagine is a lot of fun. We, we do a timber framing class and it's mostly men and mostly a little bit on the older side, a lot of the men, and they are just incredibly wonderful people who are very kind and attentive and really love not just working with wood, but also just being together and listening to other people's stories. Uh, sometimes they'll say, yeah, I came here for the timber framing, but I really was surprised that I got all of this, uh, just a feeling of connection and belonging and recognition. Yeah. And they, they just really, uh, they really loved it. So, so I, I know what, I know what you're probably creating, creating there and I'm just super excited and glad that you're doing it. Fingers crossed. Yeah. It's, it's early doors, but a lot yeah. of interest expressed, and hopefully yeah. Yeah, that'll go from there. Absolutely. Well, uh, tell us uh, about your, how to get a hold of you. What's the best uh, ways to connect with you and the work you're doing? Uh, so the website is probably the easiest way to find me which is um, theforestpath.co.uk. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as the Forest Path UK, I think. Yes. That is me. Yep, cool. Always good when someone else knows. So that's my, yeah, that is. The underscore forest underscore path underscore UK is yep. my therapeutic guiding. I'm also on there as Man of Tanith for all sorts of random outdoors shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, nice. My bushcraft ADHD. One week, one day I'll be making coffee. Well, there's a lot of coffee making on there, but one day I'll be doing tracks. One day I'll be making plant medicine. One day I'll be doing all sorts of things. And these are things that I hope to offer later on in the journey of the forest path. Right, right. No, that sounds great. And I'll, I'll have links to these uh, all in our show notes, so uh, people can just go right to their podcast platform and click and link. So. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this work and for taking the time to share this. This is really inspiring to me. I, I know there's a lot of people with ADHD and people with, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, desire to connect with other people and, and to, uh, you know, find their way in the world. And I, I think this is something that we're really, we're, we, we have the ability, nature has the ability and also, you know, group leaders like yourself, like, have the ability to really help other people ha well, have transformation and find find what they're looking for and get them started on that path so yeah and that, that's my intention you know 
I call myself a guide rather than an instructor or a teacher. Yeah. What I want to do, I want to guide people gently but firmly to the ways that will be a benefit. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I, I, right before we end, I just want to say uh, I have had, there was a period for about maybe four years uh, where I would get a, an email or a phone call from some, from some of the younger men who were maybe in their twenties or thirties. And they would often call me and say, Ricardo, I, I don't know why, but they would call me and say, Hey, Ricardo, can you give me a rite of passage? I want you to take me out in the woods and like, you know, have me force me to do all this stuff, you know, like uh, kick my ass and then give me a tattoo and something like they wanted some experience to like push them through because they didn't feel like they were a man. Like they said, I just want to feel like something's missing. I want to, I want to get into a fight. I want to, I just want to know I can handle myself or get out yeah. there, like, you know, get all scratched up or whatever. And, and I remember, I remember going like, Hey, it sounds like you uh, might have taken one of my courses already, but I said I don't I don't give tattoos or or beat anybody up. But uh, you know, it, it was just really interesting how sometimes people feel like they need a certain kind of like there's a toughness that you need, and uh, I just happened to think of that. I just uh, it's, it's that's interesting. A whole, that's a whole separate podcast topic. I think I know, I know, I know. So anyway, I. If you get any of those folks, uh, you know, just good luck with that too. But thank you so much. This is great. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.